Welcome everyone to our Bible study. We are looking tonight into the book of Judges chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles and perhaps a notepad, um, this is a good time just to be prepared. There are many aspects of this day, the, the relevancy of this day that we need to pay attention to. Hosea will write uh, the words of the Lord when he said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It wasn't knowledge about world events. It wasn't knowledge about mathematics or uh, philosophy. It was the knowledge of the Lord, and we cannot be destroyed because of uh, lack of study or lack of knowledge that would be that would be a reproach to us in this day when Hosea wrote those words the Jewish people had the Torah they did not have the entire Old Testament and they did not have the New Testament and so we have all of it and we have the revelation, we have the beginning of the book, and we have the ending of the book. We know how it's going to end. And so with that comes a privilege and a responsibility to study, to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that needs not that needeth not to be ashamed. We must rightly divide the word of truth. And so it is incumbent upon us to study, to have the knowledge of God. So I'm looking at a single verse of Scripture, Judges chapter 16, verse 20. You'll recall the story. There's a man named Manoah. He has um, a wife. They pray for a child. The Lord sends an angel, and the angel prophesies of the coming child. A son even gives the name uh, to the couple. His name shall be called Samson. And the Bible says that the angel did wondrously. It stepped into the fire and was taken up away from them. It was an incredible scene. They accept the responsibility of this child and consequently they committed to raise him according to the instructions that was given them and that he would take a vow uh, and the vow among several things, um, not, notwithstanding uh, the absence of wine or strong drink, alcohol, beverages, all the other um, moral issues that, that he needed to abstain from, the vow included not cutting his hair. So Samson would be that um, man who, who would take this Nazarite vow. He's not going to follow the majority of those vows that his parents took when he's young. It seems, it looks like maybe just one. He's not going to trim or cut his hair. And it brings us to Judges chapter 16, verse 20. This is the end of Delilah's attempts. She's finally um, convinced Samson, to show her the means by which uh, he's anointed. 
She said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. He's, she's waking him up. And he awoke out of his sleep. And he said, this is, this is either out loud or in his thought. I will go out as other times before and shake myself. The King James Version says, and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. I'm bringing you to what could only be described as a sad ending to flagrant living. Now, to be sure, Samson was God's choice to lead the children of Israel. His unique gifting was his physical strength. They could not figure out why he was so strong, which leads us to an assumption. It's a fair assumption that many scholars have have assumed over the years that Samson's physical uh, appearance was not that of a mighty giant, a man with big muscles or a man uh, that looked like he uh, had great strength. In fact, the opposite would be true, that he appeared normal, but the supernatural strength did come from God. And even though his parents had submitted themselves to the vow, Samson will obviously live in a very brazen way. He's outlandish. He's glaringly antagonistic even toward his own parents. He's disrespectful to them. And he's fleshly. And to read his story, uh, you, you can easily see the many rash decisions. He uses very little wisdom. Um, and, and it's obvious in the pages of the Bible that Samson has moral issues also. It's when you read that and then you see juxtaposed um, against his strength, these, these very disobedient measures and then the supernatural strength, it, it's easy to, uh, to question or to wonder because we have a tough time. It's difficult to comprehend that God would continue to bless or, or allow Samson to operate in that gift. His gifting was still in operation even though his lifestyle was removed from, uh, from the path of God, from the law of God. Paul will address this a uh, very complexing uh, issue when he said in Romans eleven twenty nine, for the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. It just means that God gives them and they're irrevocable. They will stand. It means that they'll continue and it strikes uh, at the core of our belief system sometimes. That if you're doing wrong, all of these things are, are stripped from you. And it's difficult to wrap our minds around the person that has these gifts. But I will say that a person can be lost and still have the gifts. Wow. It's mind-boggling. Stay with me now because we have to go somewhere and we need Samson to help us get to where we need to be. 
So just consider that again. Just take a moment and consider that again. To be gifted and yet be lost. To be entrusted with talents, um, callings, and operating in them to whatever degree and then still be lost. What a great tragedy. But I think the greater tragedy is when people believe that their gifts and their callings and their talents, their abilities, even used for for the good, that those things alone validates a lifestyle. There's the greater uh, tragedy. Let me just say it another way. A person has a talent given by God. Everyone knows. It's clear it had to be God. And then it's not revoked, even though that person... Um, isn't living up to uh, a standard of, of, of righteous living. Maybe not even living a godly life, but still have these incredible talents and gifts, callings. And they're not producing in their normal daily living uh, what they should be producing. But then they believe that their actions are justified because they still have the gift, so they continue living this immoral way. And herein lies the great deception. The great deception does not come from the devil, though he is the deceiver and he will deceive. And he will confuse the elect of God. And the great deception won't come from the world, though the world always offers empty promises. The world this carnal world will always offer a deception. Ne- things are never, <clears throat> excuse me, things are never as they seem to be. The deception, I've seen it years ago. I, I don't see them anymore, but there used to be billboards with a beautiful stallion. Um, and the stallion was reared up and the cowboy on the stallion or maybe just the stallion itself, a black stallion, um, and behind him was a snow-peaked mountain. It was head for the mountains, the mountains of, of a beer commercial. Um, I don't even remember what, what alcoholic beverage it was. But this is the beautiful life. It, the beautiful life of alcohol uh, does not show alcoholism or the many thousands of families that have been destroyed by that uh, substance. So the world also deceives, but... The world is not the great uh, deceiver. No, the greatest deception in all the world is self-deception. No one can deceive you like you can deceive you. Self-deception happens when you believe that you're saved. You believe that you're sound. You believe you're justified simply because you've not been stripped of what God has given you. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the path of the fool. It's a horrible thing to watch. I've been witness to it too many times. It breaks my heart to see people deceive themselves, thinking that they're okay because they've justified themselves because certain things have not been taken from them. And this is the picture of Samson, the power of the blessing. And the one condition of his hair. Uh, But it didn't mean that he was moral or upright. It didn't mean that he was a righteous man. 
Um, he did exploits, yes. He conquered Israel, uh, Israel's enemies, but he lived in opposition to the law of God. He was heady and high-minded. He was proud and full of contempt. Uh, he did not have proper respect for authority, said whatever he wanted to say. These things are, are, are typical in our day. People say whatever they want to say to an authority. They rarely recognize authority. And this led him to the lap of a lover. And in a weak moment, when he's finally exhausted, he's playing games. Read, read the scripture. He's playing games. He's, he's telling Delilah, well, if, if, you'll, if you'll do this, if you'll, if you'll do that, if you, a certain type of, 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 of uh, chains or ropes, and, and then, then I'll be stripped of my power. She tries all of it, and it never dawns on him how close he's getting to the edge. Because you see, when you have confidence in your walk with God based upon the talent that you have or the ability that you have, you become desensitized to how far away you are from the word and the law of God. Here's the Living Bible. Let me read it from the Living Bible. Judges chapter 16, verse 20. She has now finally convinced him. She doesn't know if it's going to work. But while he's sleeping on her lap, she has cut his hair off. And she screams. She yells out the Living Bible. The Philistines are here. They're going to capture you, Samson. And he woke up and here is the thought. I'll do as I did before, as before. Write down in your paper, as before. These are two critical words. I'll shake myself free. But he did not realize that the Lord had left him. How could you live your life and not know you're on the verge of that? Samson did not know that it was gone. God was gone. The secret was out. The bond was broken. Watch now. I say this in a, in a real macro sense. The soul was gone long before the gifting was gone. The last thing to go is that thane, that gifting, that calling, that talent, that ability. The last thing to go is that. And it can be stolen. And in this case, it was stolen by the enemy, temporarily, but stolen. God did not rescind it, but the enemy took it because Samson gave it away. Even Jesus said, no one can take you out of my hand. No one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. But I know that you can do that. You can turn away. And so Samson gave away because he thought, I'll just, as before, this is old news, as before, I'll just go back to shaking myself and freeing myself. And he didn't know that God was gone until the gift was stolen. And I come to this point in our Bible lesson tonight, it's the great word. It's the word that separates everyone. It, in fact, this is the word. I'm going to give it to you. It's the word that separates the saved from the lost. It's the word that's going to separate the people that will be found and the people that will be lost. The people that will make it to heaven and the people who will not. The word is obedience. Obedience. Obedience is the keeper of all gifts and callings. 
It keeps, it surrounds them. Obedience is the protection of all the good things that God gives to the church and to us individually, both corporately and individually. Obedience is greater than efforts, than accomplishments, than talents, or even sacrifice. Go find out the words of Samuel to King Saul. Obedience. And in this particular case, in in this this judge of Israel, Samson was going to go shake himself, and he said, as before, but he was living outside of, of obedience, and eventually it, it all ran out. And to think that any one of us can assume that we're always going to be anointed or everything's going to be fine, when we live outside of obedience, we can never assume that things could ever go back as before. And herein lies the pitfall. It's a, it's a pitfall of humanity. It's, it's a hidden place, uh, that so often afflicts the believer. It's like a, it's like unto a field of, of tall grass that hides those dangerous dips and ravines. It, it seems level to the naked eye, but it's hiding holes and drop offs and places unseen to our, to our eye. As before, as before, this is what Samson said. It relies on external conditions. And I want to lead you into a different thought tonight about obedience and disobedience. I'm open to lead you away from false assumptions of the flesh and of the gift. Oh, that's hard. It's hard for a lot of believers to swallow. We're, we can be led away from the flesh and from sinful activities, but sometimes we have a false assumption about all kinds of giftings and talents. But whatever God has blessed you with, let me just tell you now, obedience is greater than them all. Whatever insights you have, whatever giftings you have, whatever callings that God has put in your life, the, the concept or the statute, obedience is greater than all of them. Reliance on God, adherence to the voice of the Lord is greater still. And I say this tonight with all humility and, and fear of the Lord. We have developed assumptions that are not always correct. That if we exercise spiritual gifts, even, even the new birth experience, if we exercising speaking in other tongues, which we ought to do, which Paul said, I speak in tongues more than you all. We ought to do that. Just know that that is not a remedy for poor behavior. And we use that as, as a justification for poor, poor behavior. This, this might be an outlandish example, but you cannot speak your, speak in tongues. You cannot speak in tongues your way out of financial debt. You're not going to do that. Nobody has done that. Nobody has done. You're not going to prophesy your way out of mismanagement. You're not going to do that. You might have the gift of prophecy. You might speak in tongues every day that those spiritual gifts might be in you and more. But, but disobedience is, cannot be covered up by spiritual gifts or callings or talents. And one of the things that has, that has been out of balance, maybe I should say, in the Pentecostal churches is that we have forsaken 
the high need, or maybe even we've not put obedience in the proper place, but we've put a lot of other things above it. And I would just say, we've got to get back to obedience. And I'm following this last Sunday as I preached about foundations because within the concept of building our lives on the rock, Christ Jesus, the foundation, comes this major theme of obedience. And so the foundation of our lives is always established through obedience to the word and obedience to the spirit. Otherwise, we're really just playing the game. And I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not sure how everyone feels and I'm not trying to invoke something here. I don't know how you feel, but I don't want to play the game. I've got to have a walk with God and I must employ obedience in my life. And you know, I appreciate my parents very much. They were, my mom and dad are first generation Pentecostals. They had to fight to get here. They had to fight to get in. Um, there were a lot of things that they had to go through in their young formative years uh, before my brother and I and, and, and my sister were born. They, they lost, they had, they had lost. Um, their, some of their family members abandoned them. They didn't want anything to do with, with uh, Pentecostalism or the idea that that they would be an apostolic. They were first generation and they handed me something wonderfully. They dug it out. But I must have my own moment of obedience. I cannot live on the obedience of my parents. And I would just say to all of you who are second, third, fourth, maybe fifth generation Pentecostals, I'm so grateful you've been handed something wonderful. But that also could be a curse to you because there are many people who have lineage, but they have no relationship. They have, they have heritage of, of ancestors in Pentecost, but they don't have relationship. They don't have obedience. They have talents and gifts, but, but they, they are not subjective themselves are not submissive to the word of God. So I would say we have to build our home on the rock and build it in the right place. All of which constitutes obedience. It obedience demands us and commands us. It, it provokes us. It guides us obedience. In the natural world, there are a few places that you probably want to consider before you move, you move there. I, I would I would just submit, don't move to the territory that they call Tornado Alley. Tornado Alley. There, there's so many tornadoes. It's, it, it is a landmass. Um, it encompasses much of northern Texas, northward through Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, a few parts of Louisiana, Iowa, Nebraska, and eastern Colorado. Now, not the whole state, but there, there's, there's in the Midwest there, um, you can find it on the map. You probably don't want to go to some of those places that have been, uh, there's a few cities in Oklahoma that have been torn down by tornadoes multiple times. But interestingly enough, people go back and build their homes again. That's where they're going to build. Hurricanes um, hit a lot on the eastern coast. Parts of North Carolina have been wiped out multiple times and some parts in Florida. But once again, people keep building there. In fact, there was a moment in Florida where the um some of the some of the insurance companies stopped insuring homes they left Florida because the hurricanes kept coming and people kept rebuilding in places where there were floodplains and hurricanes and and the insurance companies were very tired of 
paying for the entire home every three to five years and replenishing it or replacing it. But people rebuild because they always think, well, as before, I'll just do what I did before, as before. This is what Samson was thinking. I'll just go back and stand on that same ground as I did before. I'll shake myself. Now you can transfer those, those words into very modern things, very modern actions. And I use the analogy of building in particular places. Yes, we build on the rock, but we also need to know where, where is it safe? What should I be doing? And that, that once again demands obedience. The word of God. How should I live? In other words, how should I act? How should I live? Obedience. Samson's mother and father asked the question, how do we order the child? What? And then there was instructions. But Samson did not take it from his mom and dad. His, his parents ordered him and raised him, but he abandoned those things because he had confidence in the spiritual gift, the supernatural gift. Uh, and, and he had a horrible disposition and a horrible attitude. It's interesting what happens in the mind, this is in the psyche of people, we have a tendency believe, to believe that we can just go back as before um, and everything will be fine. In fact, when there's chaos, um, most people, 70% plus, believe that the chaos will end, the storm will be over, and uh, you, you'll go back to normal. I'll give this the name, an actual, an actual scientific name in a moment, but I, I want to point out a few things about World War II. In Poland, roughly three million Jews were killed in Poland. It was the nation with the highest uh, death toll of, of Jewish people. But the ethnic or, um, or the, the indigenous Poles, the Polish people, Somewhere between 2.6 and 2.7 million of them also died. There was great devastation. The Polish people rejected the Germans. They tried to help. Many of them tried to help the Jews and they were slaughtered for it. And there was a part in the war, a portion of the war. It was a period, in fact, where there was around 400,000 Polish people and they knew that the war was there, it was upon them, it was pressing upon them, and they were warned to get out. They could have, they could have ran. Of the 400,000 that was reported um, to have had this knowledge, only, only 100,000 of them uh, ran. 300,000 of them stayed because they believed that, that things would return back to normal. This is called normalcy bias. Normalcy bias. And normalcy bias is the belief or the confidence even that things will be as they were before. Um, this is part and parcel of, of, of the human mind. So we believe that things are going to go back to as they were before. We also have these terms today, the new normal. Be careful of the new normal because the new normal always, it just always ends in normal. Over time, everyone adjusts to the routine and the new normal just becomes normal. This has happened multiple times, even in the last 100 years. Since, since 1904, 1905, 
this new normal has taken place multiple different times as technology increased, as, as traffic increased, road systems grew, uh, the interstate, the highway interstate, four lane highways. They never thought of that before. And everyone was adjusting. They adjusted to, uh, a new lifestyle after World War II. There was an adjustment. The new normal became normal. Now we're into normal. Um, normalcy could be very dangerous too because the new normal, we've gone through that, right? I mean, the new normal was, uh, it, it, it occurred in the sixties with, with free love and in the seventies, there was a outcry. There was a, there was a change in the, in the eighties, music and culture and, and all of those civil rights, the chaos of the civil rights. And now these things became not the new normal, but they became normal. It's very dangerous to think this is normal. Now today, normalcy is that um, governments and, and leaders and media can't be trusted. How terrible is that? That's just the norm. But it wasn't always that way. This is the new normal, and now it's just normal. So normalcy bias is this belief that things are going to go back to where they were before, and we can always get out of it. And And for the church, this happens in the lives of the believers when they say, I know that this is troubling, but I'll, I can get back to God. Or I have time. Someday I'll get back. I, I have time to reunite with the Lord. But we don't know, but that time could be running out and it will eventually run out. See, disobedience ultimately leads to an to a end to the clock running out. Disobedience usually, and I'm sorry, it always ends in the clock running out. It did for Samson. It, it has for many people. Let me just read a little bit to you about all those judges. There was Othniel. He defeated the king of, of, of Aram. He, he judged Israel for 40 years. Ehud had 80 years of activity. Shamgar, we don't know how long, but he killed 600. This is what was happening. The, the Jews were in a cycle of disobedience. They rejected God's law. He sent them Deborah, Gideon, Tiola, Jahar, Jephthah. There was so many of them. Amden, Samson, all of these judges, some of them known, some of them obscure. They were there for a season. And, and this is what happened. The people of God rejected God's law, disobedience. They were disobedient to God. And when they rejected it, then they adopted another tradition or another practice. When the hand is empty, people will find something to fill that hand. And they did. And they worshiped false gods. Immoral activity broke out. And then God would deliver his own people into the hands of the enemy. And then they would cry out in their oppression. And then God would deliver them from the hands of the enemy. And then life was good for a moment. And then they would reject God's law again. And they would adopt the practices of other nations. And then they would, they would have a scourge of this immoral activity. False gods would rise up. And then God would give them over to oppression. Their, their enemies would defeat them and they would be oppressed. And they would cry out and they would repent. And then God would deliver them through a deliverer, a judge or, or some leader. And then life was good. The cycle 
these cycles would go over another new cycle. And this is what's happening even today in America. These cycles keep going over and over again. And I feel like we're at the end of the last cycle. See, at the end of all of this mess, Israel finally came to a point where the kingdom was divided and then the kingdom was split and then the kingdom was stolen and then they were delivered to the Assyrians and then they were delivered to the Medes and Persians and then came the Greeks and then came the Romans and they never recovered and several thousand years, 3,000 years, 2,500, 3,000 years would pass by until finally they would come back as a nation and the Israelites were lost. What a long period of time. Even between Malachi and Matthew, God didn't speak for 400 years. And then after that, the church age would begin. But the Jewish people, through their disobedience to God, they're going to recover, but they have not yet recovered. And what about the church? I would just say to all of us, if he didn't spare the original branch, don't think he will have any less judgment against the grafted branch. And in other words, you don't have a monopoly on the new birth. You don't have a monopoly on God. You don't have a monopoly on salvation. And we have to have obedience in our life because that's the only way that we're going to be saved. We have to be obedient to the voice of God and to the word of God. This cycle has been going over. And, and most recently, in 9-11, uh, a cycle took place. And here we are just, we're, we're get, closing in on 20 years from that moment. 19, 20 years. Were, were, can you imagine that it was just that, it wasn't that long ago. I remember that morning that the planes hit the towers and, Thousands, almost 3,000 people died. I remember that day. Roman was a baby. And, and I wanted to remember the moment. It was a tragic moment. The first tower, a friend called me and said, this is a incredible thing that's happening. A plane, a lot of people are going to die. And at the time, we all thought that maybe it was a, a, a plane that had lost control. And then the second plane hit. And we all knew. It was incredible what happened in those days. And I think America has forgotten. We said we would never forget, but we did. And our politicians started to stand up and quote a passage of scripture. They didn't even know what they were quoting. And, and the churches, I'm going to get to the quote in a second. And the churches filled up with people and and people said i'll never leave the church now i'm going to be saved i god's coming back very soon and our churches were filled up all kind, in fact every denomination people were going back to god they were going back to worship whatever they knew knew to do they were doing it they were they were getting right with god it's the cycle here's the cycle fear that the lord was going to come back or fear that we were going to be overrun or invaded. It drove people back to altars and prayer times and Bible readings. Here we are again. Here we are again. People are viewing sermons and lessons. They're just in, they're they're indulging on all of these lessons. There's so many 
hundreds and perhaps thousands of ministers doing what I'm doing here tonight. And then churches are opening up and people are anxious to get back. I've, I've heard from a lot of my pastoral friends, my pastor friends, and people are excited. They want to get back to church. In fact, more people are coming back to church than, than ever before. Uh, one, one very talented young man has been having uh, services in the parking lot. People stay in their cars and he's had almost a 50% increase. People pulling up. He doesn't even know, they don't even know who they are. They're just pulling up and, and he's preaching with a microphone and they're singing and, um, everyone stays in their cars and he just preaches to everybody and sings and, and they're having church out there. They've been doing that. In fact, he can go back inside, but he doesn't want to. In fact, he called me this last week and he said, pastor, what should I do? And I said, just Forget about going inside. Just keep having church outside. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to keep having church. People are coming. It's so wonderful. They're coming. Last week, he had 44% more people uh, in his parking lot than has ever come to his church. It's just phenomenal what's happening. And he's trying to get the names of everybody. And, and this is happening all around. People are, they have anxiety. There, there's there's something in the air. Even the unbeliever knows this is not right. We got to do something. And the cycle now, we could be on our last cycle where people come back and God gives us grace a period of time. It's happened before. It happened before when, when the planes crashed into those Massive towers. And they fell and they destroyed so many things in New York City. The place had become uh, uh, almost like a wasteland. The dust, um, all of the, all of the concrete, all of the mangled metal and, and all the fire and so many horrible things took place that day. And our, and our politicians Someone gave them a verse. They didn't even know what they were quoting, but they, they quoted from Isaiah chapter 9. I'm going to read it in a couple different versions. Here's the King James. They stood up. The politicians stood up. You can, you can do this research. You can Google this. It's so easy to find. They said, Isaiah 9 and 10, the bricks are fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. We're going we're gonna to restore. Here's the new King, King James uh, Bible. The Bible says, The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with, with cut out our hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down. We'll replace them with cedars. The bricks have fallen down. The NIV, but we will rebuild with dressed stones. We'll cut them. Sycamores they have been fallen, but we're going to replace them with something stronger now. And politicians were, they were, they were talking about this. They were discussing this. They had microphones and they were quoting Isaiah 9 and 10. Little did they know that that scripture was a rebuke against the Lord. And the Lord had sent a word. It was a punishment of Samaria. And the people lifted up their fist against God because he had torn all that stuff down. And they said, it wasn't a promise. It wasn't a prophecy. It was an anger against God. They said, the bricks are falling down, but we'll put it back up, God. You're not going to destroy us. The sycamores are cut down, but we're going to do something better. We're men. We're, we're people. We have power. 
and they abandon obedience. They abandon obedience. And now here we are. We built everything up again. And then we had a collapse in 2008. A financial collapse in 2008. And no one thought it could get any worse. In fact, in 2008, 2009, even the stock market put provisions in to shut everything down in case of a major financial collapse. We were not going to allow it to happen again. There was all kinds of, of, of filters and provisions put in place. But lo and behold, the cycle now is back. We've, we've found this over and over again. And what's happening here? What's happening in your life here? Obedience is now come into play and disobedience. And for a while, I think that people are going to, they're going to worship, they're going to pray, they're going to read their Bible. But my concern, it's not that you would come back to the church. My concern is not that you are just engaging in worship and prayer. My concern is how long will you do this? And Will this be our last cycle? You see, as before has swallowed up many people, as before. I can, I can live in disobedience, and if it gets bad as before, I'll just shake myself. Hey, I, I can come to church, I'll do it for a while, but if I get busy, you know, listen, this is, we've been through this before. We'll come back to God later, as before. We, America has seen a lot of trouble. We'll get through this somehow. I think we'll get through this somehow. There's going to be an outcry of just the citizenry of the United States. People are going to get back to their lives. There may be some adjustments. The new, watch it, new normal. And then that will be adjusted. And then something will happen. And then there'll be vaccines. And and we'll we'll look back on it. And then all of a sudden, those people that are in those parking lots, those people that are rushing back to church, knocking on doors, wondering when the doors are going to be open, then I wonder, is this the last cycle? Or will God deliver us into the hands of our enemies? What will happen then? My concern for us tonight in this Bible study is for us to employ obedience and make sure that we're right with God. Watch this, Romans 5, 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Obviously, Paul's talking about Adam and Jesus Christ. Adam and the second Adam. Adam at the beginning of time and Jesus Christ. But I just want to look at the first line. One man's disobedience. One man, it only took one disobedience is a it's worse than any infection that has ever um been levied upon humanity disobedience paul would write to the church in the next chapter he said in romans 6 16 know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom you obey whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness whoever you're yielding yourself to this is who you are. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. The difference between death and life is obedience. The difference between having a walk with God 
and and being lost or being a carnal person is obedience. The difference is not spiritual gifts or talents. Please don't confuse. Those are for the benefit of the church and they also bless your life. But they don't mean that you're saved. Obedience to the Lord is the key to all things. First Samuel chapter 15, and I quoted it earlier, but let me just read it to you one more time. Verse 22, Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What are you talking about, Samuel? Sacrifices, animal sacrifices, were the routine and they were the requirement. But Samuel went a step deeper. In fact, he went so deep, it confounded everyone in his day. Because they equated their walk with God with the animal sacrifice. But Samuel said, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, to listen, to be some, some, submissive is better than the fat of rams. And then he said, for rebellion is as sin as witchcraft. Or another, a better way to say it is, for rebellion is witchcraft. And stubbornness is like iniquity, it's idolatry, stubbornness. Well, we don't cover that very much. We believe we can be stubborn and still have all of our gifts and talents. And we're okay. See, there's the self-deception. The self-deception is, well, I was used of God. Well, I feel the Lord. Well, I, I spoke in tongues. Well, I, you know, I cry. Yes, but, but do you obey? Do you obey? I would even say, that obedience is not an emotion. Don't get confused with the emotion. You can feel the Lord and not be obedient. And if you're not obedient, what you'll do is you'll say, well, I'll, I'll, as before, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out later. This is what, here's what the Bible says in verse 23, 1 Samuel 15 and 23. Samuel said, because, because thou hast rejected. See, disobedience is rejection of the word of God. Disobedience is a rejection of the word of God. That wasn't written down. Where did that word come from? It came from the mouth of the prophet. It came from the mouth of the prophet. And Samuel said, you rejected the word of God. And because you've done that, God has rejected you as the king. God rejected you as the king. Well, he was rejected as the king, but he still was the king until the day of his death. And how did he die? He died by his own hands. He gave it away. So I say tonight, we have a task in front of us. These are not the times to have a, have a weak or shallow walk with God. And I, I have concern. My concern is that so many of the believers are caught up with so many trivial things. Making money, business, vacations, planning, fun times. My concern is that we don't know if we're on the last cycle. Maybe the Lord will would grant us a little more time. But in my spirit, I feel that there won't be another moment. 9-11, 2008, 2020. Now, there were many before then. 
They've happened all through history. But there's something that tells me that this is the final cycle. And as I've said before, perhaps the only other time in history when the world was closed was at the flood of Noah. So could it be that we'll lose the significance of where we are? See, after the flood, they started out well, but it didn't take long. And once again, they devolved into something that they that God could not recognize. And they abandoned, eventually they abandoned the law of the Lord, the directives of God. He scattered them. They united and found a nation. Abraham came, but at the end of Malachi, all the things that were instituted became corrupted. They offered God diseased sacrifices, no obedience, no heart for God, just going through the motions, the function. And then the Lord closed up all the prophetic words. No apostles or prophets entered. And then Jesus, and then the church, and then the church went through all kinds of trouble and persecution. It landed us now all the way here 2,000 years later. And we are the end time church. But I wonder, will the believers wake up and stay awake? Or will we just sink back into disobedience again and rely upon all of our giftings and all of our talents and all of our programs and all the things that make us feel saved and reject true obedience? Because that is what's happened to us so many times. And I, and I don't, I don't want to tell you that, that I'm old. I hope I'm not old to my kids. I'm old. Um, to my elders, I'm a young man. So I don't know. I must fall somewhere. But at my age, which is extremely young, at my age, I've seen these cycles happen in the lives of people. Things are good, and then they're so good. It's like they push a button and just blow themselves up. And, and they leave the church, and they leave the Lord, and they leave prayer, and they abandon the, the statutes and the laws of the Lord. And they get caught up in the world, and then they come back. Then they repent and everything's good and they're so sorry and things get better and they get really good. And then all of a sudden things are so good that they become deceived again. They have self-deception that they're okay. And then all of a sudden, again, they're lost over and over and over the cycle. I will say to you tonight, we may very well be on our last chance and we must be obedient people. If there's anything you ought to practice on, practice today. Practice obedience. Practice obedience. It'll keep the gifts protected. It will be the difference between life and death. You will break every cycle in your life. It'll be the salvation of your own soul. Your obedience to God will be the greatest gift that you can ever give your children if they can witness it in your daily life. I feel very strongly tonight that God is leading us. I'm not saying it just to fill up time. I feel very strongly that God is has been leading us and I know that he's leading the nation and the world 
but I really feel like the Lord is leading this local body of believers, this church. Our foundation is so incredibly important. And until we're obedient to God, we're never going to be right. I want us to be obedient to God in everything we do, in our praise, in our giving, in our sacrifice, in our worship, in our devotion, in the word of God, to know it. You can't be obedient to it if you don't know it. So I'm praying tonight, and I'm asking you to pause now. If you'll just pause for a moment, put your pencils down, your pens down. If you're commenting or if there's a few things going on, just have a moment of silence. And then when I begin to pray, I will pray, but I'm asking you to also pray that God would help us to become an obedient people that will follow him with sobriety and honesty and purity. We'll follow the word of God and we'll obey the word of God, whatever it says. And they will abandon all the things of the world and that we won't get caught up in another cycle ourselves, but we'll be true to the word and to the things of the Lord. Pray with me right now. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would help us. You know our limitations and you know our shortcomings I know, Lord, that you've called us to be like you, and I know that none of us are perfect. But, Lord, help us to strive for obedience. Help us to push for obedience in our lives towards the Word of God and the voice of God. Lord, so many things come into play and cloud our minds. So many men and women are encumbered with things that really won't matter. Help us to be Diligent, Lord, to follow you, to see the time that we're living in. Let this resurgence of the knowledge of God or the hunger of God not fade from us. I pray for every body of believers, every church preaching the truth, that as new people, backsliders or sinners or seekers or believers, whoever comes, I pray, Lord, that they would come for good. Let us understand the time, the season that we are in, and let us walk with faith and with obedience. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.